Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. At this time, we would like to take a moment to thank each and every one of our uh, listeners who did show up for the live view, who bought tickets and were able to be with us on stream. Again, thank you so much. It wasn't expected for you guys to do that, but it was amazing, and we got to see a lot of the community come together already. Yes, we have a, we had a lot of fun doing it, and we really hope to see you on future live streams. This will be a perfect chance, actually, to talk about the Paranormal History Academy podcast Patreon, or Pahapapa, as I like to call it. Yes, we have three different tiers as of right now, and we hope that you guys come and check it out. We have the founding alumni, alumni, and student. Yes, and they go kind of in the reverse order from that. Student $5, alumni 10, founding alumni 20. Founding alumni is only done for the first season, uh, but you get to rep that status for the entire duration of the podcast, whether we do four seasons, eight seasons, 100 seasons, however long you guys want this to go and however long we have content for and don't get our butts sued. Hello, and welcome to the Paranormal History Academy, the only academy that lets you use your phones. Yes, if you found some other means of listening to this podcast other than your electronic devices, then maybe we should be investigating you. Maybe you might be one of our episode stars. Yes. Today, we're going to be talking about the Demon of Brownsville Road. I am Professor Brandon, your paranormal researcher. And I'm your resident historian, Professor Travis. Like I said, Travis, we're going over the Demon of Brownsville Road. What does that kind of entail? So it's a very interesting story. It looks... kind of deals mainly here in the Pittsburgh area. It's very recent, actually, with most of the events taking place in the mid-2000s into the late 2000s. So it's it's kind of fresh. It's interesting. It's not like your normal, hey, we're going to go over this asylum that w- operated in the 1800s and all this. So it, it's fresh. It's new. Uh, the book was written by Bob Cranmer, the man that these events allegedly happened to, as well as uh, Erica Manfred. So that's going to be a really big source of information we have because they're firsthand accounts, but we do have supplementary information we were able to dig up on them as well. That should be pretty good for us. And that really helps us out. It's strange that it did happen so early in the year or in the years. Yeah. It, it's like I said, it's interesting. It's, it's brand new. It, it's kind of cool that it's like, this just happened like a decade ago. What this stuff usually hear about it happening in Italy in the 1400s. So it's it's interesting. But first, before we can get into that, we kind of have to go over who exactly is Bob Cranmer Sr. So Bob Cranmer Sr. is a born and raised Pittsburgh resident. He grew up in the outer area of Pittsburgh, eventually moved out, went into the Army as a counterintelligence officer in Fort Campbell, and then married his wife, Lisa. They had four kids, Jessica, Bobby Jr., Charlie, and David, in that order, if I'm not mistaken, Eventually decided that the army was not the life for him anymore because he had a family and it's harsh on family. We all know this. We're a cast of veterans doing this. So we're, we're kind of all familiar with it. Moved back to Pittsburgh to Brentwood Township into a 3406 Brownsville Road. Now, this is the house that the entire story is based around and where all the happenings occurred or allegedly occurred. Now, Right out the start, I'm told to understand that we had paranormal happenings right as they were viewing the house. Isn't that right, Brandon? Uh, yes, actually. One of the bigger things that was known was that Bobby Cranmer himself had a, an encounter 
when the Joyce's and Cranmers were in the basement, Bobby was out kind of looking around upstairs, probably trying to figure out which room he wanted. Like, oh, the biggest one. That's the one I want. And that's we've all done it. Let's be honest here. He was heard wailing in the foyer just from that. They could hear him downstairs. That's how loud he was. Yeah, they're in the basement. They actually heard him wailing, especially with how big this house is. If you look at the floor plan's house, it's massive. Like it was built in the early 1900s by a very wealthy family. So it's just a huge open floor plan. So he he had to be wailing pretty hard. When they found him, his eyes were closed shut and he looked terrified. They told him, hey, you can open your eyes now. We're here. As soon as they opened him, he would close them even tighter. That's how terrified he was. He supposedly saw something. I mean, he could have just saw their 90-year-old neighbor in their see-through nightgown reaching a paper like, Mr. Richards, what are you doing? Why is the nightgown see-through? Hey, I don't, we don't kink shame here on the Paranormal History Academy podcast. So I don't know. Mr. Richards might like the free-flowing elegance of it. Who am I to say? I made this up. Why are you on me about this? Because I'm, I'm a little <laughs> bit scared for your well-being. My therapist says so too, but that's a story for a later date. Speaking of therapists, Lisa and Bobby both had different type of therapists, didn't they? Yes, they did. There is uh, several psychological happenings kind of with them that we can get into. We're going to divulge into as we kind of go periodically through the happenings in this podcast. So it's actually pretty interesting. But before we go into that, we should really more talk about Bob Cranmer and his time in political office, because as it seems is some of these psychological happenings could have been a direct result of his, his political his time in politics, really, and the strains that come with that. So Bob Cranmer uh, and the onset of buying his house in 1988, a few years later, after he fails to get into Baptist ministry, he decides instead to go into politics, starting out as a member of the Brentwood Town Council which is where you know his house is located in Brentwood Township, and eventually moving on to become the Allegheny County Commissioner. Now, the city of Pittsburgh is the seat of Allegheny County, so it's got a pretty big population base, a lot of happenings, and from what he described, a lot of political corruption over that time, including with the police departments, a lot of stuff happening there, a lot of internal corruption and organized crime, and how he describes his time fighting these elements. Well, while he's doing this in the early to mid 1990s we start to see a manifestation of some psychological problems especially within bobby jr uh and lisa his wife as they i feel that they were going through all this stress as part of his political career because it's long days there's a lot of you know they go to school there's probably a lot of bullying he lists himself as the first republican commissioner in allegheny county since the 1930s i believe and there's Honestly, it does sound like they were cracking. If you looked at how they started acting near the end, it it sounded like they were just too much stress on them. Absolutely, especially the eyes on people like that, especially as Bob Cranmer states, you know, he's changing all of these laws. He, he's going after all these corrupt politicians, as he, he calls them, within the Allegheny County. You know, that's going to create a lot of enemies and that's going to cause havoc for his family as well. The family suffers just as much as they do. But in Bobby Jr.'s case, this is a little bit different as he starts going to see a psychiatrist. He ends up being diagnosed with bipolar one, which is manic depression. 
So uh, if you've ever known anyone with bipolar one, well, obviously, first off, bipolar is hereditary. It's not, you don't just develop bipolar ever. It's got to be passed on, you know, from parent to child and so on and so forth or through generations. And manic depression involves violent outbursts, followed by bouts of deep depression afterwards or guilt for the violent outbursts. It's kind of a back and forth cycle. But Bobby Jr. did have a lot of reported violent outbursts, including one big one, which was a fight with Bob Cramer when he turned 18. Bob Cramer ended up being arrested and sent out in cuffs, wasn't allowed to return to his house for several months after this. Uh, So that's kind of fits the bill. He attributes it to demonic infestation or demonic influence. But again, bipolar is not something that's really can be created. A, A demon doesn't just give someone bipolar you're born with it it's something you're raised with lisa's on the other hand oh god i was gonna say it definitely does add some type of paranormal possibility though i mean violence and uh, violence kind of relates to demonic possession i'm not saying it was demonic possession i'm just saying that it does happen here and there it does but it doesn't fit the the psychological diagnosis with with bobby because bipolar one people are very prone to violent outbursts. It's already something that they struggle with constantly as opposed to bipolar two, which is hypomania. It just means you're energetic. You're constantly going, you're reeling, you're, you're going very, very fast all the time, which is kind of the counterpoint to it. That's why there's one and two. Now, Lisa, on the other hand, I feel hers is directly attributed to Bob Kramer's political career and how rough it is because she was also a member of the pta she'd do a lot with uh the teachers and schools she was very active on the school board uh to one point she even went to the state capitol harrisburg to petition the closing of one of the schools in the district and you know all this time she spent all this action she helped tied with her trying to raise four kids while bob is pretty much absent this whole time because He even describes when he was in office, he would go in early in the morning and he wouldn't come home till late at night. You know, kids would be asleep. So it's just, I feel was more the stress of her raising kids. She eventually just kind of broke, had all this anxiety, ended up not paying bills. Like bills went unpaid. Bob Kramer even found like a stack of notices like for foreclosure for the house because they weren't paying the mortgage. So a lot of these psychological problems kind of don't fit the bill. The one I would say could kind of fit within the realm of demonic infestation or demonic subjection is Charlie, one of the younger sons. So Charlie was diagnosed with severe anxiety, but he was also prone to bouts of self-mutilation and self-harm. Now, with people that have anxiety, it can go either way, but more often than not, anxiety manifests in a way that your body's reacting against a stressor because you don't want to hurt. You don't, you're, you know, you react to something with anxiety, like, hold up, that, that could hurt me. I could hurt. I don't want that. I don't want that. And you're pushing yourself away from these stressors. Now, if you are prone to self-mutilation, self-harm, that kind of goes, it's the antithesis to anxiety because you're trying, your body's reacting to stressors in a way not to get hurt. Whereas this is, you're deliberately going out of your way to harm people. And if I'm not mistaken, that has a direct biblical influence as well, because your body being a temple, the Bible says you're not allowed to to mutilate your body. You're not allowed to, to do harm to yourself. Actually, no, it doesn't. It, well, it states that you're not supposed to hurt yourself in any way. Demons try to take what the Bible says and reverse it. And it sounds like it was doing that here. It possibly could have been carving anything into what that person was cutting themselves for. It's very weird. I 
kind of wish that there was a little bit more on what was happening more than just he was cutting himself. Maybe if he was saying some weird stuff in Latin or anything like that, it would have been a lot cooler too. It's just walk down the hall in the middle of the night. Charlie, what are you doing? Just Latin. I don't know Latin, so I can't say anything in Latin. So I, but I just, that would freak me out. I'd probably leave that house. I'd be like, you stay in the hallway. I'm going out here. Yeah, you know, throw some holy water on them. Holy water on them. It might actually do something. If not, then well. Yeah. But, you know, it, again, it can go either way. It can really just be medical diagnoses. It could just be mental illness or they could chalk it up to, to demonic infestation. But it's hard to tell with, you know, mental illness as opposed to this because it, the Catholic Church has had a long standing history of uh, misdiagnosing mental illness for demonic possession. Heck, in the United States, up until the 70s, epilepsy itself was considered to be a form of demonic possession. They, they considered that reaction, those epileptic seizures, to be the cause of other mental illness. Thankfully, there is some good news, though, because the Catholic Church has started to look into mental illness and started to roll that out from exorcisms. So they've yes. done better. And as we kind of stated in the disclaimer for this episode, there is a bit of a, this whole story is going to be looked at kind of under a lens of the Catholic faith because the Catholic archdiocese of Pittsburgh are involved, including father Ron Langwin, who is now the archbishop for the Pittsburgh archdiocese and his, I don't want to say boss, but the person that sat atop him was shortly involved. Uh, you know, archbishop world now Cardinal world, who is the Cardinal of Washington, DC. So he oversees all of the archdiocese in the United States. So there's some big name players in the Catholic church taking an interest in here and focusing on this happening in this house. So it kind of gives a little more credibility in that regard. But again, everything here is kind of looked at through the lens of Catholic faith. So there's going to be some things that are like, well, the Catholic church says this is wrong on a personal level. You might not see it that way. We may not see it that way as well, but we're trying to be unbiased and just say it. Now to begin with some of the paranormal happenings, because This gets weird from the start. The very first thing that we start to notice is in the foyer, there's a coat closet and there's a pull chain. Mm -hmm. The weirdest thing is that Bob Cranmer himself focuses on this pull chain more than anything else happening in the house. And that's because it raises itself up and wraps around the light. He freaks out about that so much so that he will open the door, pull it down, keep it there, make sure that it is down, close it. Five minutes later, go back, open it. Sure enough, it's up on the flight again. Yeah, the sheer force of will he has in just zeroing in on this light pull cord is is kind of amazing because I'd never, I wouldn't have caught it. I wouldn't have caught any of this until the walls were bleeding. I would have just obliviously just went through my life like, eh, whatever, I'm too tired to deal with this. Uh, black cloak figure in my grandson's bedroom, uh, maybe just my daughter's wearing some black dress. I don't, I don't know. Just like, on a grudge once not, many times, you know, once yeah, tried I, to dress like her. I would not have zeroed in on this that quickly. But yeah, so he does. I, if I'm to understand correctly, he even goes to the extreme of tying rosaries to the pull cord. Yeah, that's the weirdest part is that he ties the rosary to it and it proceeds to be put on the uh, rack itself 
and then the light cord just brought up. Like it didn't care that the rosary was there. It's like ah, I'm just gonna put this right it's, here. It's just like a prank. Like oh, okay, well I can't hold on. We're just gonna take that off. We're gonna sit over here. We're gonna wrap it up again. So this kind of more attributes to like a light poltergeist activity, right? This doesn't really attribute to a demonic presence just yet. Oh, definitely. It even is seen to like move picture frames here and there, pull furniture. And I believe that was the case. We even had a report of it moving a chair in the basement. Yes, it would. There's a furnace in the basement and it would always pull this chair over to be looking at the furnace. It would get, it would actually get the chair from Bob's workshop and put it in there. Now he, he, you know, list this off as like, a, oh, who knows what that is. That, the part where I never sit in front of this furnace, I maybe don't have that radio on at night, or I know I turned it off. These things, he just brushed off. Oh, maybe I forgot to do that. Like, you, you stated you never sit in front of that wood burner, so how would you, maybe I forgot to put it back. That you don't focus on, but this light pull cord you do? The weirdest thing is that, like you said, he does say that the radio would be turned on, that lights would be turned on. Strange smells would be around the place, smelling of tire burning tires taco and day. sulfur. Definitely taco. taco day. Probably. We've all been there. But no, yeah, he so would he would focus sul- on that stuff and no reason to focus on it. Yeah, and uh if I'm to understand correctly, the sulfuric smell and all that can now we're getting into the realm of of reported demonic presence. Yes. Once when you start to smell sulfur it's probably time to call a priest because that could be demonic. So now we finally have something to kind of point it in the direction that they're alleging that these happenings were caused by. And so it was kind of at these points where he's finally started. This is kind of after he got out of politics. And I believe he started working as a lawyer. I know he's, he was working for a law office uh, for a long period of time there. Uh so what he ended up doing is now he reached out to the passionist ministry down the road, which he had helped. He had done a few like volunteer work things there, like putting up crosses and stuff like that. He now reached out to them and was uh, responded by a father, Mike, who then was kind of like the man on the ground throughout the whole of this, you know, performing Catholic mass in their living room and throughout the rooms in the house, throwing holy water down, reciting passages, all that fun stuff you know, fun little Catholic stuff to like, Hey, maybe this will work uh, in lieu of an actual exorcism. The weird thing about uh, throwing water, throwing holy water around the house is actually supposed to be representing marking the house for quote unquote good. Oh, and throw water around to water. Wow. I mean that you're kind of weird too. So maybe you're just marking it to, for chaos sakes. I would I would totally fill up a bunch of balloons with like holy water and just run into a room, like, balloon fight and just peg it like yeah oh, man wouldn't that be great if they said it hits burn. me with acid or something just ah I'm just down now you mentioned the demon was actually making the walls bleed as well because we had the marking of good that actually is the demon trying to mark the house for bad or evil water versus blood which is kind of counterpoint I I think because the Bible, blood is important. The blood of Christ is is kind of the everything there. It could be just mockery, as demons are known be. to do. Yeah, demons love to mock things. So do I. Maybe am I? No, no, it can't be. But 
Before we start going into more of this paranormal, it's kind of important we go over a little bit of the history of the house at 3406 Brownsville Road. So one thing we definitely want to point out, this house was originally built in 1909 and finished construction in 1910 by the Malik's, a wealthy merchant family. But the history of this land goes further back than that to even the years of our fledgling nation, back to the year 1792 with the Brown family. So there was a Deliverance Brown who lived in the area. His homestead was kind of on the land that 3406 Brownsville Road sat on in the area that was today as Brentwood Township. So in this bit of time, as the nation was expanding and gaining more land, they started getting into skirmishes with Native American tribes. This is kind of very common history. We all know. I'm sure we've all learned it in some way, shape or form. But what they don't tell you is Western Pennsylvania was kind of a hotbed for it, even after the French and Indian War. As we see settlement out west, the Indians start protesting like, hey, you can't move in. This is holy land to us. We, we don't want anyone living here. As that escalated, the Native American tribes decided to move to more dire practices, namely uh, in the Brown family's case, Mr. Deliverance Brown came back to find that his wife and two kids had been murdered and scalped. And then his homestead burned down. Uh, We corroborated this with letters from Fort Pitt to the then Secretary of War of the United States regarding these matters. And he buried his family on the settlement where his homestead was and planted an oak tree above it. Now, the one thing I do have to kind of make a note of is how out of the ordinary this occurrence is. Even with Native Americans, they normally do not kill women and children in this time it's really not their way it's kind of against their principles what they do normally do is they'll capture women and children they'll either make them slaves to help out in you know their nomadic culture with hunting gathering so on so forth or they would be known at times to ransom them back to the american government for resources namely firearms or any other sort of material they can use. So this was really out of the ordinary for this to happen, but it was kind of a rise in events and an escalation of, you know, us settling into that area and them protesting it. So this can be corroborated. So this history was, was later corroborated. And Mr. Kramer did hire a company that deals in ground penetrating radars to actually look under this oak tree and they did find three objects that they could reasonably concur that they were the you know the remains of the brown family uh fast forward a little bit now into the early 1900s when the malik family were having this house built there was a lot of mishaps even in the construction of this house a few workers getting injured i know one was reported to have walked off saying this place is cursed And there's even uh, some alleged activity of someone actively cursing the house. Now, the Maliks were very wealthy at this time. They were a wealthy merchant family. And Mrs. Malik was reportedly very beautiful, but had a very sour disposition, which gained her the moniker with the workers, the rich bitch. So it kind of gave a sour disposition. And I know one of the workers allegedly put a type of curse on this house. I know you can tell us a little more about this Italian-based curse. Yes. So like you said, the curse did originate in Italy. It's a little bit weird for German workers to be putting a curse that originates in Italy on the house, but Mr. Europe here. I digress. It is the curse itself was pronounced Melocchio. And this curse, it translates to the evil eye. I get that a lot. 
it's supposedly it's believed to cause misfortune and physical problems. Hmm. So, you know, like your back problems, your headaches, oh, or, you know, real. Just, maybe well, I'm cursed. It could be, but a good way to test that actually oh. is to get a bowl of water and three olives. You so drop- that's why I have this bowl of olives here. Huh? Are you sure those are olives? I don't know. They look kind of like Lucky Charms. Ah, uh, yeah, it makes sense. When did I eat cereal? That's weird. But you drop those three olives into the bowl, and if they form the shape of an eye, you are cursed. I'm cursed. If it forms the shape of an eye. Okay, well, I'll have to test this, because I'm pretty sure, based on those symptoms, it, it could be very much precluded to be cursed. Good news is, though, there is a way to get rid of this curse, and the best time to do it is Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve. Yes. So I've always had a a funny time with a lot of these legends and their significance around the time of Christmas or Christian holidays. Easter can be more easily precluded as why it would hold a holy significance. But Christmas itself is based around the winter solstice in that time period when the North Star is more prominent in night sky due to the story of the wise men. Biblically and historically speaking, there really is no information that gives us anything to know when you know, Jesus Christ was born. We, we don't know what time of year it was. Calendars were different. There was a lot of different things, a lot of non-communication between, between nation at the time. So we really don't have anything to preclude that. Records were almost non-existent. So it, we really have no clue. They just coincided with that winter vortex in the meaning of the story of his birth. I mean, it could mean new life as well, because Christmas time, you think of kind of death but it could just try to mean new life for everybody it could there could be significance in there and comes into the the human conscious and how it it perceives these things so i mean there's arguments back and forth on whether you know the actual human subconscious is in some way creating a lot of these paranormal situations so but yeah i just that always struck me funny as uh christmas hey do this on christmas but there's no significance to Jesus' actual birth on that date. but Well, if you continue. believe it, it could be that. What you have to do, though, is if you are cursed, is you have to make a cross with both hands. Now, I know what you're thinking. You do not cross them like and make them into I, a cross. I, I don't cross my fingers? No. What you're doing is you're making the kind of Spider-Man looking sign and making I'm it gonna... so your index oh. finger is pointing straight up towards the sky so that way it looks like more like a cross. That doesn't, I don't know, that looks weird to me. That To me, that doesn't really look much like a cross. You can get your fingers like perfectly horizontal. I can't, <laughs> I can't do it. I have to like break my pinky to get it facing the right way. But you do that with both of your hands and you have a loved one say a prayer for you using the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay, now if I don't have any loved ones, is store-bought fine? Go to your local church. The grandmothers will love you. And you'll probably get snacks, too. Ooh, I love me some Rice Krispie Treats. Now, you have to repeat this prayer that they said a total of three times. Already too much work for me. It's still going on, too. Because then you have to say, and our Father, Hail Mary, and a glory be. I think I'm just going to stay cursed. That That's a lot to remember. I don't... I mean... If someone was jealous and envious of you and doubtful, you had to do all of that. I don't know. 
the weirdest thing is that you can also curse yourself. Like you can curse people not even meaning to, but you can curse yourself as well. How are you jealous or envious of yourself is my question. <laughs> Look at this guy and his devilishly good looks. Oh, wait, that's me. Honestly, that's what it sounds like. It's kind of weird. Envious that everyone else gets to look at look at my face, and I don't. I don't know. That's not true at all. Please don't don't be under the misconception that I'm a beautiful human being. So that is what the curse is. That is the supposed curse that this German worker put on the house. Yeah. Again, to, not to dial back, but it is kind of interesting that we get a German worker because it was a German contractor that that built this house for the Maliks. And there's an Italian curse somehow placed on, on there. I, I just don't really get that too much, but Hey, it is what it is now to go back into a little more of the history. So after the house was built, the Maliks did live there for a good while. I uh, changed hands a few times. I know once in the late forties, uh, they had lived there. I believe it was the Paisleys. They'd lived there all the way till 1971, 19, or it might be later, 1979. To when the Maliks moved in, or not the Maliks, the Joyces. I apologize. The Joyces moved in until 1988 when selling it to, to the Cranmers. But there was some happening still while the Maliks lived there. As we know, if, you know, his house was constructed in 1910. Fast forward a couple of decades, we get into the uh, early 1930s. The Great Depression had hit. It hit everyone alike, rich and poor. So the Maliks were obviously coming, falling on hard times. They were approached allegedly by, uh, as Mr. Cranmer elicits, a Dr. M. But we can use historical data and residential records at that time to actually conclude this was, in fact, a Dr. Mahan Sr., just because it coincides with the house that they claim he resided in at that time, right down the road, which was also supposedly another haunted location. Uh, now, Mr. Dr. Mahan, I apologize, Dr. Mahan Sr. Uh, allegedly approached the Maliks uh, intending to rent out the blue room, which is actually the room Bobby Jr. had you know, stayed in during his time here to perform kind of illegal abortions out of the area. Now, we know that abortion, uh, you know, abortions are kind of a hot button issue at this time. They had a very negative connotation, both biblically and societally. Namely, because abortions at the time didn't have the medical science we have today. They, it was doctors were never trained on it. It wasn't a known practice. So they resorted to some other less reputable methods, mainly or namely speaking, hey, I want you to drink this bottle of diazepam. If you don't overdose or if you don't die from the overdose, more likely, then you're not pregnant. And so sometimes, or it involved direct surgery and things like that, but it was less safe. So there was a lot of casualties. I'd, I'd say not only them being late term and the, you know, the unborn children involved, but also the mothers. I believe there was actually two occurrences where the mothers passed away during these procedures. Which actually that does kind of correspond with a lot that happens in the blue room. Yes. Yeah. There is actually a lot of activity that goes on in the blue room, even right from the beginning when Bobby Jr., who had seen something on the first or the second floor landing in this house, allegedly, you know, he's staying in that room for the first several years. He would not sleep in his bed there. He'd sleep in the closet. They eventually had to bring a mattress in and lay it down in the closet. So because he, he slept there, he would not sleep in his bed. Now, there actually could be a reason for that. And that is because one day he was staying home from sick and staying home from sick. Staying home from school sick. There we go. 
I, I try to stay home from sick all the time. I try to stay home from sick too, but he stayed home from school sick. And when his mother and family were out, he looked over and saw what he described as a child made of lightning running down the hallway being chased by a black figure. I, I don't even know where to begin to fathom that, like a child made of lightning. Yes, Nikolai Tesla is still alive and well, just in child Apparently. form. Running. Yeah, he's, in, he's in purgatory running around the Cranmer house. So he, first of all, he thought that was weird, but he got terrified when he saw the creature start to come back into the room and looking over him on his bed. Hmm. He, as a smart child would, pulled the covers over his head to try and hide from this thing. And as Bob Kramer describes, the creature... Well, as Bob Kramer describes in his book... It's still Bob. Yeah. As he describes, it pulls the sheets or covers down and folds them at the edge of his bed. I mean, that's impressive. Maybe maybe the demon just wanted to show off its like mad folding skills. Just look at that. Look how fast I can fold these. I can Boom, do your bed every time. day for one goat goat head a day. One goat head a day, record I'll time. Fold, I'll I'll make your bed for you. Now the question is though, would you be terrified or would you actually be like, hey man, can you teach me those skills? Yeah, I'd no, be right, asking him. Yeah, I'd be like, hey, can you give me this? Like, can you show me this? This would actually be pretty awesome. What ended this entire uh, instance, though, is a white, a bright white light in the shape of a human coming down over his bed and kind of stopping it. He just closes his eyes, wakes, looks up, and everything's gone again. But honestly, it's kind of weird, though, because a bright white light could have definitely been Thomas Edison coming to save Nikolai Tesla. Especially in the description, because Bobby Cranmer describes him as a human shape as a light bulb. Oh, yeah. So it, maybe it's it definitely is. Thomas Edison. Yeah, maybe it is Nikolai Tesla. Maybe he's trying to find him like, Edison, you jerk, you stole all my ideas. Like, maybe they're just having this eternal feud and this demon or whatever it is is actually the referee just trying to like, hey, no, come on, hurt him like cats. Like, no, you stay over there. You leave Mr. Edison alone. You leave Mr. Tesla alone. I, I could totally see that. And the weirdest thing still is that if you fast forward a couple of years, you have Lisa and Bob Kramer staying in there. Mm-hmm. And they see in that room and in the adjacent bathroom, a rusty, bloody, red-orange looking pile of liquid that they describe as a birthing fluid smell huh yeah i I believe it was lisa that pointed out now now i know that you know lisa cranmer she had four children that cannot cannot be discounted at all but her spatial awareness then if she was in the middle of giving birth which has always been referred to as like one of the most painful experiences a human being can go through is but you remember the smell of the birthing fluid. That just seems odd that that's like fresh in your brain. Like a, I know what this smells like. That smells like birthing fluid. I wouldn't remember. I'd be like too focused on the horrible, horrible pain I'm going through birthing this child and the joy of then getting to hold this child. Yeah. That, that's one of the weirdest things that they describe is that yes, it smells like birthing fluid. I don't know how she came to that conclusion almost immediately, but she did. 
yeah, we, we don't really know. It it could have been later on in the book that they just said, Oh yeah, we, we later determined it was it smelled like birthing fluid. But yeah, it's just interesting. I I, I never understood that connection. Which it gets into the kind of defense that they started making to stop this thing from continually hurting slash haunting them. And one of the best ways that they did it was putting Passion of the Christ on 24-7 in the Blue Room. I mean, I've never really seen Passion of the Christ, but I know if you put really any movie on, namely a Mel Gibson movie, I probably would not be happy about it being on constantly either so i mean i can't really blame it in that regard it's weird because they're trying to sit there and say the this the story of jesus christ being put to the cross that could be stopping this thing from happening why would that stop a demon yeah that's the weirdest thing i don't know especially in the regards that like demons so a lot of times movies and media depict demons as being harmed, like physically harmed near a rosary or anything religious when it's really not the case, biblically speaking, and through a lot of records at the Vatican and a lot of other things, demons aren't damaged by these. They just, they hate it. it. They once were holy beings as well. And, but they decided to leave when Lucifer was cast down, all this stuff happened so it's not really a, it destroys them or hurts them. It's more of an extreme hatred. It's like something you just absolutely can't stand. Like I cannot be in the same room as that. I hate that. I don't want that near me. Which it's kind of funny that you do mention that because the demon would start to destroy the rosaries. It would start fusing links together to make it impossible to hold where you have the rosary in between your hands or yeah, you'd have it draped yeah, over your hands, like in the traditional praying motion with your two hands yes. put together. You'd have the rosary, rosary. I can't even talk today. Draped over over those hands and hanging down off the end as you say your prayers, and it would take the links Fuse apart the links. and move, put them together in a way that you couldn't use it that way. It it even went so far as to break crosses and mutilate them. Supposedly, would also steal crosses, and they would just not show up which you had to wonder what did it do with it then yeah i don't know uh one part one part bob kramer senior uh says that he was told to go out and buy gold cross necklaces for all of his family and he does go out and he buys all these gold cross necklaces and at one point bobby jr's while he's wearing it at night slips off his neck and onto the floor while still linked like still clipped together so it's really interesting that this, these things just kind of oddly happen. Uh, Lisa Kramer says a very similar thing happened to her. Her necklace was on, it was clipped, you know, clasp was done, and it slid off her neck, still clasped together. That demon is just flexing on these guys so he hardcore. Is. He's right like, now. I can fold sheets, I can take necklaces off you without unclasping them. I think we're actually dealing with the ghost of Chris Angel. Probably. Even though he's and- still alive. Well, or maybe it's I, just Chris Angel there. I don't know. He's just in there like a new episode of Mind Freak. It does get weird with when Jessica sees the demon's face, though. Because I don't think she saw Chris Angel. I She describes it as a, gro- a very grotesque-looking face when she's having a sleep paralysis episode. 
Yes. And sleep paralysis is kind of easy. Like it's interesting when you think about it. I don't know if any of your listeners have ever had it. I know a lot of people do. I know I'm kind of prone to bouts of sleep paralysis just because I, am I, as well. I naturally lucid dream. I never even knew that you could dream anything other than like lucidly because I always just ever since I was a kid, just could, I'd start dreaming and be like, Hey man, I, I could do whatever I want here. This is awesome. And people are like, Oh no, that's lucid dreaming. You have to practice that. I'm like, I just always do. So I guess it makes me more, more prone to bouts of sleep paralysis. And if you ever have one, you don't normally see like shadows in the corner. You'll see things with like weird proportions. It's your mind's creating it because it's in that state between, between REM sleep and not. So it, it's really an interesting thing that she was able to see details on this thing's face. As she said, it felt like it was holding her down. Honestly, that's probably the most terrifying instance I could ever imagine. I would never want that. It's terrifying enough to have sleep paralysis, but then to see a very well-detailed demon face in, yeah, in just, your eyes, that no. Just hold up, get this away from me. That kind of brings me to more of the defense that they bring on into this house which starts with bob cranmer deciding to throw a as he describes it a hail mary at this monster and bless the house himself start reading some of the passages of exorcism yeah which is to me seems pretty dangerous it's almost like it's almost like some random person notices someone choking and saying Oh, it's okay. I once saw a video that someone performed an emergency tracheotomy, so I'm going to go do that right now. Chances are going to kill that person. Yeah, it doesn't. It shouldn't go as well as you would hope. Normally, the Vatican recommends a cardinal or bishop or somebody higher up. Even a priest can do it with a cardinal's okay to do so. A cardinal's blessing, I should say. Yeah, like as far as I always knew, you need to be specially trained to be an exorcist and sanctioned by the Catholic Church to perform the rites of exorcism. So it was it, it was strange that he notes this, but luckily it doesn't get that severe. Uh, I know there's also kind of a misstep, or at least I think so, uh, later on when he invokes the help of the Penn State Paranormal Research Group. So yeah, uh, we actually had an outside influence in this scenario it was actually recommended by Father Ron Langwin, now Archbishop Ron Langwin, uh, to bring in outside verification, which is kind of the Catholic Church's new policy when it comes to demonic possession, demonic infestation. They do want to get professional opinions or outside opinions just to, to take that extra step of precaution to make sure, hey, yeah, maybe we're not missing a mental illness, or maybe there's something else this could be attributed to. So they actually called in a group from Penn State College. Uh, They're called the Paranormal Research Group. Their leader... I don't know if you're familiar with the show uh, Paranormal State, uh, but their actual leader of this group was Ryan Buell, who was the star of Paranormal State all the way up until 2013 when the show stopped running. So we actually had like a later later to be TV star in on this. So it's kind of interesting to, to know that we had this group come in and actually start doing research. Uh, I know they came in on one weekend and set up they're doing a lot of temperature monitoring things like that Uh, a couple more very devout catholics now it kind of carries into as i said earlier one of the i guess foul ups on here at least i'd consider it is they start trying to ask this thing its name which yeah that's that that's not a good idea 
honestly, if you are inexperienced with that type of stuff, or you may not understand fully what you're getting yourself into, mm-hmm. you could really do damage on yourself. It could even follow them home if they weren't careful enough. Yeah, I always read that that was kind of attributed to a very dangerous ground because only trained professionals should be trying to gain the name of a demonic entity you know because that name holds power over them allegedly according to exorcists and a lot of that you know a lot of the like but trying to get it when you're not really trained i feel like that just kind of opens the door for a whole mess of stuff you don't want and i guess it kind of even manifested itself uh, i it was clawing people even yes. just went in a little bit before there it was known the claw the cranmer family a little bit honestly i'm a little bit jealous that we couldn't get any videos of it because they actually said on camera you could see one of the researchers there get a claw across his face and they got it on camera when it yeah, if i'm not mistaken it is the club advisor uh he went into another room to kind of pray and as he was praying he saw like a bunch of entities throughout the house and one of them actually turned and looked at him and that's when he got up and he walked in with the other group because he was just kind of oh i better be near people and that's when a claw mark started manifesting across his forehead they claim to have gotten this on footage but we weren't able to procure that i've sent a couple emails out and made some calls but couldn't get anything unfortunately but who knows maybe season two we can bring that out or semester two yes and now we actually get into a little bit more of an interesting tactic that this research group pulled up being using a psychic in philadelphia by the name of judy now psychics that's kind of weird for a group that's kind of corresponding with the catholic church to use well it's actually not out of the ordinary for the catholic church so the catholic church have been known to sanction mystics for centuries actually dating back the earliest known psychic was i believe in 35 a.d just two years after the you know believed that christ died in 33 a.d so the first well-known be well-known mystic being 35 AD. We even go forward a couple hundred years in the Catholic church to one father Padre Pio, who was actually believed to have fought with the devil during mass in church, like his, his uh, robes being ripped bruises appearing on his body. Like imagine that this man just like boxing up with, you know, with the devil. Uh, he was so, also believed to have uh, had the precognition of who the next Pope would be. The so question is, though, did papacy? he win the title belt? I don't know. I, I hope, like, there's, if you look, if they someday unearth him, I hope there's a title belt in there, like, box with the devil, like, you know, yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, we had a kid that played the fiddle with the devil. This dude straight up boxed him. Not gonna lie, though. He, the devil has lost in a fiddle match and a boxing match. What can this guy do? Yeah, I mean, clearly, clearly the devil needs to kind of brush up his game a little bit. I'm assuming, like I said, a little kid beats you in a fiddle off. Maybe you Uh, shouldn't have gone into that one. Maybe not. Yes, so dialing back, because there's actually a couple other uh, mystics that do show up within this story. One of the most prominent ones being Connie Valenti, who was helping relay information to Father Ron Lengwin to tell him about like the history of the house. She claimed to have been able to see different things, see the past of the house, the presences and what you know what it was and uh it was her belief now that this demonic presence was a direct result of dr mahan senior and his illegal abortions performed in there because it had captured the souls of those unborn children and was causing them to not be able to move on and 
tied in with the curse and all the negative emotions surrounding this, that it, it caused the alleged demonic infestation of this house. Now, you mentioned Judy with the PRG. Mm-hmm. Did she find anything that was of big importance? According to their statements, she was. She was actually able to use her abilities or whatever they were to find the lair of this demonic presence or where it went to recharge, which is kind of an odd word knowing the the technological advancements we have today. Kind of like a, yeah, hold on. I got to go into this secret closet and plug in my demon. The future's kind of stupid. I mean, it could have been wireless charging still, but even then- <laughs> My it, demon has wireless charging. So we, we really swung the extra bucks for quality. You paid the extra $100 for that. But even still, having the layer being found behind the foyer coat closet is so weird because they found a yellow Lego brick that belonged to Charlie. And they said that this was the major thing that it would use to kind of attack Charlie or do bad things to him. Yeah, which is kind of funny that it uses a Lego brick. I can only imagine it waiting for Charlie to walk down the stairs. He just throws his Lego brick in front of him. He steps on it, falls down the stairs. It's just a bad time. You know, we've all stepped on Lego bricks, but it's it kind of also interesting that this, this now comes full circle back to that coat closet. So the significance of the coat closet, the blue room and the basement correlates back to Dr. Mahan senior. So the coat closet, they, they state has significance because that's where Dr. Mahan would come in every day, hang up his cane, his hat, his coat. He'd go up to the blue room to perform these procedures. He'd wash off in the bathroom adjacent to it, which also had a presence, which was also reported to have that fluid, that birthing fluid like stuff and then he would burn the remains and all the sullied like sheets and everything like that in the wood burner in the basement which i think would smell awful because that wood burner actually was the heating source for that house at the time so uh how does that how would that smell throughout that house if you're burning the the aborted remains of like a fetus like that probably i don't think you'd be able to eat very much in a house i oh it just i do declare mrs malik you must be cooking that famed rotisserie chicken again i smell it up in the bathroom it just what's it'd be horrible what's the weirdest part to me is that the coat closet is like the most haunted part of the house and nothing bad happened there yeah he just nothing. hung his coat and his cane yeah How's that's that bad yeah, that was my like, how dare this man, you know, practice proper manners and hang his coat and hat up in the coat closet. That just, I don't know. I don't know how it, uh, how it became the focal point of this. But yeah, you're right. Nothing bad really happened there. Now that they found the demon's lair, they started to kind of understand that the demon would go around the house and make the sulfur smell. And Bob would try to quote unquote expel the demon around the house just fighting it everywhere and they noticed hey it never went to this coat closet that's how they did determine that it was its lair and it got to the point where even he asked father Langwin, hey how do i continue my nightly activities with my wife and he goes well you just continue it like it, nothing is happening like kinda, it's normal kind of odd i think from the actually have even brought that up to a uh, a high-ranking catholic priest 
Like, hey, father, how am I supposed to do it? Like, I, I just, why would you even bring that up? <laughs> I don't know. But after he got the answer from that, he goes, Father Langwin said, yeah, do we I need to do, do this thing? every night for the good of the cause, which is, I mean, he took advantage of it. Like any guy really would take advantage. Let's of be it. honest. We all would. Yeah, he'd be and, like, yeah, yeah, I got the word from a priest. He said it's okay. Well, you I mean, have to the feel reasoning... sorry for the demon. Yeah, at that yeah. point, that would be awkward. Like, because I mean, Father Lenglen even says in there that a demon cannot witness the acts of a married man and woman or a consummation of a married man and woman because it's a quote unquote holy act. And I just, he can't watch it. No, really, maybe not can't, but probably just doesn't want to because that's just awkward. I mean, I, I can imagine this thing knocking on Bobby Jr.'s door in the blue room, like, "Hey, man." You're your parents are at it again. I'm going to crash in your closet. I know there's a mattress in there already. I brought my pillow. Just let me stay the night, too. This is yeah, getting nasty. I'll, I'm going to crash in here. This is just awkward. Just as crazy as it began, though, it ended, if not crazier. Yeah, really weird, weird way to end this whole thing. And how it ended was after Christmas time, they decided, hey, why don't we put all of the Christmas decorations in this thing's layer and fill up the room with it? With Christmas decorations. With Christmas decorations. <laughs> Honey, you know, the Santa get the Snoopy. inflatable Santa. Put it in there. It hates it. It can't stand it. If it was anything else, I'd probably believe it, but yeah, like, it's just Christmas decorations. Yeah, like maybe a nativity scene I could see. It's like, okay, maybe that has importance, but... When most people think Christmas decorations, and this didn't happen ages ago, it happened in the late 2000s. So it's, oh yeah, it's just that that fat inflatable Santa on an airplane. <laughs> just yeah. throw that in there, and the demon's like, ah, I hate that thing. You paid 80 bucks for this. It's a piece of junk. After a couple more expelling sessions, they finally did supposedly get rid of it. Now they never stated it's gone, but it has. The house has remained safe ever since. Now that comes to that begs the question. Now, when Christmas comes around, they take out those those uh, Christmas ornaments. Does that uh, um, bring it back? Does it come back now? Like I'm alive again. All I, I could talk to was the uh, the Snoopy and Woodhouse. <laughs> I would love the fact that like the demon only come out for like two three months, then go right back into the closet kind of sad all right back in the closet we got all the stuff there yeah yeah i know i know i know i've done this for a couple years now i know the deal and just walks in there but yeah so like like you said just on as odd of a note as it began with that coat closet and that light pull cord it ends in the area behind the coat closet with a bunch of christmas decorations yeah and supposedly it's been gone ever since it even turned into a bed and breakfast now. Yeah, you can actually stay the night. Uh, it's actually called the Grand Oaks Manor now, I believe. Is No ghost hunting. No ghost hunting is allowed there, apparently. You can't do any kind of paranormal investigations for fear of bringing this thing back. However, you can talk to Bob Cranmer for a fee. Yes, which, I mean, we we don't have the money, or else we probably would have. Uh, I would have uh, probably asked few fun questions with that so tell me more about this uh this consummation with your wife that drove the demon with that note we'd like to thank you guys for listening to our very first episode yes definitely we can't thank you enough for embarking on this journey with us it's been a lot of fun and i do want to give a momentary shout out to our research team 
we couldn't have really gotten this far without them and all the help that they've given us, especially you, Mr. McCracken. Uh, you've kind of been with us since day three, I say, because not day one. It was kind of in its fledgling stage, and then uh, you offered your services. It kind of blew up from there, as well as all of our listeners and everyone on our social media. We didn't expect them to blow up as much as they did, so we couldn't be more thankful. And definitely be ready for the next episode, which is going to be on Hillview Manor. Yes, a very historic legend here in Newcastle, Pennsylvania, or even Western PA as a whole. We can't really wait to get this out to you and all the interesting history that it has. It doesn't doesn't really hit, fit the bill for most of these these places that we go to. You know, most most often than not, paranormal occurrences happen at uh, psychiatric asylums, things like that. This place actually never was a psychiatric asylum. It was a poor farm that eventually became an old folks home. But there's apparently a lot of happenings there, a lot of alleged reports that gave it this kind of paranormal moniker. I know it was reviewed by ghost adventurers and ghost hunters, and they both found quite a bit of evidence there. So we can't wait to bring this to you guys. And we like to take this time to talk about our Patreon, the Paranormal History Academy podcast's Patreon. Yes, sir, as I like to call it, the Pahapapup. Now, there are three different tiers, aren't there, Travis? Yes, there are. There's the student tier for $5, the alumni tier for 10 and the founding alumni tier for 20 The founding alumni tier is only available for season one and gives you all the benefits of the prior tiers, as well as exclusive merchandise, bragging rights, and different goodies we're going to give you throughout the entire time of the podcast. Yes, and you can keep that title for as long as this podcast runs and a little bit afterwards, too. Yes, you can brag to your friends about something that they may not be aware of. And also, I think the $10 tier gives you they gives you Discord access, does it not? Yes, it does. It does give you access to our Discord servers as well as some game servers, maybe. So you might be able to play uh, play some games with the Pahapapa team. And we'd love to see you guys over there. We love having discussions with our fans and love just hanging out with you guys. 